All right, welcome everyone to another edition of our weekly uh, Lunch and Learn. This time we have a special guest with Aaron. Usually I have realtors across the country, but I want to include um, insurance in general because there's so many things going on, especially right now with the fires, but just in general, the I, I feel like there's a lot, there's not much education in this space. Like I, I myself, I'm not really sure even personally what to always look for when it comes to insurance. and. I'm pretty sure a majority of people feel that way. People may have a standard insurance that they have in mind, whether it's home, auto, umbrella, but Aaron will be able to give us some more light as to what are the questions and scenarios we should all be asking ourselves, but also how do we make sure we're being protected, but at the same time, not overpaying for things that we don't, we may not need. So lo really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be a good one. Now, before we do the intro, as usual, if you or anyone you know is considering to buy or sell here in the Bay Area, let me know. It's never too early to have a conversation. I've been able to help already over 20 people through these means uh, that have reached out here uh, through my podcast and through the videos that I post. So you certainly would not be the first one. Um, so don't feel afraid from that perspective. And it's always been a lot of joy for people that have been able to find value through the shows. Without further ado, let's get going. So, Aaron, welcome to the show. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, when did you get into the business? And actually, what did you do prior to being insurance? Um, thank you for having me, uh, Spencer. Uh, really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Um, so a little bit about myself. Um, I was a SF State student, uh, got out of college, and was working at Cobalt Banker as a marketing director. Uh, did that for a few years and uh, ended up doing social security, went, uh, went public for eight years. And after that, decided I wanted to do something where I can work for myself and uh, set my own schedules and actually interact with people because I like to work with people. So I jumped into the real uh, in into uh, insurance six years ago and started my own agency and uh, never turned back. Love it. Um, yeah, grew my business and uh, been agent of the year three years out of the six. Amazing. And, and just kind of walk us back when you first got started, like, was it like, tell us kind of the trajectory. Was it a really fast start? Was it slower than what you expected? Tell us kind of the early days and then kind of like how you generate business and how you handle the business these days. Yeah. Well, the pressure was on once I signed my contract with uh, farmers because basically I had a three-year contract and I had minimum quotas I had to meet. And so basically you got to hit the ground running or you know, let's just say you stop halfway or whatever, you're done. They cut your contract and they end you as an agent. So you kind of really have to prove yourself. So I definitely hit the ground running and worked really, really hard in basically yes. doing a lot of networking, uh, learning a lot about the products that we offer, learning about the ins and outs of claims and everything, because I want to make sure if I'm going to talk to a client, I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And I want to make sure I'm properly insuring my clients. And then that's how I grew my business. Um, a lot of my business right now is mainly from networking and referrals, referrals of referrals, and so on and so forth. Um, and that has grown my business tremendously. But, you know, with the fact that I have to make sure I want to protect my clients and I want to provide them the same service that how I expect to be insured and how I would be treated as a client as well. Nice. And for you, when you were you always at Farmers? And why did you choose Farmers versus the other providers? What are What are the main differences from you as a business person on your end and then what is the difference from just the general industry whether it's like an all stay state farm and these other yeah. companies um well the reason why i chose farmers is farmers is a great company they've been around since the 1930s um they've been around for a long time um you know they're you know they're they're a great company their their branding is there 
Um, but the main reason I, I chose farmers is because of the legacy. Uh, meaning if let's just say after I grow my book to a certain size and I feel like retiring, I can pass this book on to my kids and they can take over my business. Whereas if you're with like State Farm, um, you cannot pass it on. Basically, you give it back to State Farm and State Farm gives it to someone else to manage. Um, so it's kind of like my little retirement plan, basically, you know, have my kids, you know, take over the book and, you know, and, uh, and, and, and this way the clients can still, you know, somewhat interact with me even if I'm somewhat retired. Um, yeah, that's the main reason why I, I jumped on with farmers that, and, you know, and the, uh, you know, the branding and, and how long they've been around in the market. Got it. And they don't need to be a licensed agent. Like your kid doesn't have to be anything involved with the business per se. Is that fair to say? Uh, no, no, no. They definitely do have to be a licensed agent. So, uh, my kids are only one right now, so they're not going to take over for years. Uh, so, you know, over the years, I'm going to, you know, if they decide they want to jump into daddy's business, uh, then we'll get them licensed, get them trained, you know, how to manage staff, learn the products. You know, he's going to have to pay his dues and do everything I had to do and proving himself that I can safely let him take over the business. Um, so that, you know, definitely that's going to be required later on that. And then, uh, so in the real estate business and somewhat of the lending business, there are measurements of how people can see whether they, you know, an agent is a top producer or they're just some part-time person. Is there, is there anything like this, um, in the insurance business where there is some sort of semblance of, Hey, look, this person is like top 1% or this person is, you know, just does once a one a year. Like, is there anything like that, that, um, outside of maybe Yelp reviews, but is there anything else that can help people find like who's a really good insurance agent? Yeah, so uh, aside from Yelp, which um, on Yelp, I'm actually, if you look up, you know, uh, Daily City or San Francisco, you know, farmer's insurance, I'm like the top one with the most reviews and five-star reviews. I don't have a single review that's uh, anything less than a five-star. And I tell my clients, you know, if there's anything I can do to improve your uh, you know, your experience, you know, I'm always happy to make adjustments so that I can make sure that my clients are protected and make sure that my clients are happy with the service that I've provided. Aside from cost, I don't really get, I don't really get to choose the cost. You know, it's always based on, you know, whatever your driving record is going to be or whatever your age is or where your home's located. That's out of my hands. Um, but other than that, um, you can look me up on farmer's website, and uh, if you type up my name, it'll tell you how many reviews and of my clients has written me reviews and what they think of me as well, too. In, in terms of like an insurance industry standard where basically all insurance agents are rated, there's unfortunately nothing like that, which that's not, not a bad idea. Um, you know, Yelp is probably, you know, the you know, Yelp and Google is probably the best factors that, you know, basically, you know, my clients get to review me. Mm -hmm. Got it. And so why don't we talk about the the business itself of, especially with all the wildfires that's been going on, like, um, are you dealing with any of your clients that have been affected? And so let's, let's talk about that side. And then we'll talk about like, how can people protect themselves if you guys are even offering that yeah. kind of insurance now? So tell us like, what's been going on there. Yeah. So fortunately for the people that in like, you know, the city of San Francisco, you know, people that live in the city, you know, they're not in a high fire line zone, you know, but there are fires that could happen. It could be a wildfire. It could be a gas leak. Uh, explosion, you know, it could be a lightning. Um, for the people that actually am working with a few clients right now that are affected from the wildfires, some live in San Jose, some live in Santa Cruz, uh, some live in the North Bay. And those people, uh, you know, what we're doing, you know, right now, fortunately enough, I, I'm happy to report 
my clients have been super lucky. They've been evacuated and we paid for their hotel, you know, uh, you know, putting them in a hotel, paying for their food expenses and everything like that, because that's part of a policy that we cover. Um, and, um, you know, fortunately none of their houses have been burned down and they've actually lifted some of the evacuations and I've checked in with my clients and they said, Oh, our house is fine. Luckily they evacuated us. You know, we're going to probably end up paying for some of the smoke damage to their personal property, like their clothes, paying for cleanup of the smoke, the soot. Um, but we're lucky, we're fortunate. And my clients are fortunate that none of them so far I've been able to report that have actually had their homes burned down, you know, currently. Um, you know, there are a few clients I have still in the active fire zones that have not had the uh, evacuations lifted. So, you know, we're, we're just paying for their, you know, their, you know, relocation for now and, and hoping for the best. Um, yeah. So that's what we're doing with our clients right now. And so what is the process for them as a client? Are they going through claims? Are they getting a hotel first and then getting reimbursed? Like what is the actual process? Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of claims, it really depends on the agent. I personally like to take on claims myself or, or either me, myself, or anyone in my office, my team that I basically built. Um, they can definitely call the 800 number if it's an emergency and it's after hours and I'm not able to pick up. Um, but typically I check my text messages and emails religiously. So with how it works is you would file a claim with me. That's how I prefer. Um, if you need to be relocated, if it's an evacuation or if there's an active fire burning your house, um, you know, we, you know, obviously call the fire department, don't call me first, um, and put out the fires. Um, and then what we do is we file the claim. We find out what's lost. If right now it's unsure, we're not sure if there's a fire burning the house or not. Then what we'll say is, okay, well, if you have, an, if you have an evacuation, uh, on your home, then we'll pay for your stay. What you can do is you can go to the hotels, you know, obviously something reasonable and then, you know, and then you can have them bill us directly or you can pay it and we can get you reimbursed. Either way, we'll be fine. I always tell my clients to keep all your receipts during this incident because who knows? So it might be something that we're going to pay that you didn't even think about your toothbrush, you know, like you don't have a toothbrush. You got to buy a toothbrush, you know, something yeah. like that. You know, like I always mention to my clients, if you have a claim, keep all your receipts that have anything to do with this just to protect yourself in case we can you know, reimburse you for any part of it. Um, if it's something that, you know, that's going to be a long term, you know, and it's not like an active wildfire. Um, I have clients actually like, oh, yeah, um, you know, we had a you know plumbing issue and we can't live in the home without a bathroom. So we got to put you up in a hotel. Uh, we can actually build the hotels directly and have them. Hey, um, as he stays there for three, six, you know, nine months, bill us directly so that we can pay for their hotel stay and then tell them to keep the receipts and then uh, we'll pay for their food separately. Oh, wow. Interesting. And so yeah. how, how do premiums get affected by this? Like when it comes to insurance, I've always thought if it's not a big deal, you don't report it or you don't claim it because it will impact, you know, your premiums and yeah, you, you know, your profile. Is that the wrong way of thinking of it? Um, and like how much would it get a, like how much would a premium change with, you know, I mean, someone staying in a hotel for three to nine months is obviously a very expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what happens on on the on the other side of they? I presume they have to pay for it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it really determines. So it's all case by case basis. Um, obviously, if you cause the fire, you forgot to turn off the stove, or if you left the water running and it caused water damage, that would be negligence on your part. Your premium would be going up higher than if, let's just say, a lightning struck your roof, right? But then also we have to take account for what it's going to cost to rebuild. So how much money we pay out, if you're negligent or not, um, that's going to that's going to determine what your increase is going to be. Um, 
for smaller claims, I mean, you're right, and you know, you could be right. You know, let's just say, you know, uh, deter, you know, depending on what the payout amount is, what your cost of your increase. So let's just say if it's like, uh, oh, you know, I got robbed, I have a thousand dollar deductible, and they robbed me for twelve hundred bucks, you know, or twelve hundred dollars worth of stuff. They took my bicycle, um, whatnot. And all right, well, for two hundred dollars, you know, after we pay out, that might not be a claim you might want to keep, you know. For you know the type of policy you have, because you might get an increase that will stay on your record for three years. So it really depends. It's case by case basis. It's hard to give you like a, a standard figure. But what you want to consider is talk to your agents, um, and they typically will know a ballpark figure what the increase is going to be based on what happened. Are you negligent or not? What is the payout going to be after we pay out the claim? And then they'll kind of give you an idea. Oh, we estimated we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. So then you can talk to them and ask them for advice. Do you think it's worth? keeping the claim or withdrawing claim. If you withdraw the claim, it's a $0 claim and it will not affect your premiums. So you can always file a claim. Turns out we're only paying you $1,200 for the water damage and we have a $1,000 deductible. Nah, it's not worth it. I'll withdraw my claim. All right, no harm done. Oh, interesting. So you can withdraw it. It's not, I always thought like once you report it, it's now stuck there, even if it was a $500 claim. Uh, it will. We will always be able to track the claim but we will not increase your rate if it's a $0 claim. And I'm speaking for farmers. I can't speak for any other companies. Um, I'm sure there are some companies that may, you know, may, may increase your premium if you have a $0 claim just for inquiring. Uh, I'm not sure which company, I don't want to name any names, but I only, I only want to speak for my own company. So for farmers, yeah, if it turns out to be a withdrawn claim, it's $0 that was paid out. Basically, if it's under the deductible or you withdrew your claim, we don't increase your rates. We just assume that it, basically we look at it as if it never happened. I see. Now, with with all the wildfires going on, and since it's it's, the, it's in one way it's the path, but it's also seems like clearly top of mind for a lot of people. Is wildfire? It's wildfire in general covered as part of basic home insurance, or is that a separate line item? Or it depends on where you live. Yeah. So definitely dependent on where you live. So every carrier is going to have their own appetite for what areas they want to include what coverages for. So like some areas will say, well, you know, we're going to include fire. You know, like if you're in the city, it's low risk for fire, wildfire, all that stuff. If you're in a high wildfire hazard zone, then they may say, you know what, eh, we're willing to insure you for everything else other than fire, meaning we'll cover your theft if somebody robs you. We'll cover if your home collapses out of nowhere. Uh, we'll cover water damage. We'll cover the liability of someone slips and falls, but we're going to exclude specifically fire. And then you can get your fire policies on a separate policy, uh, separate coverage somewhere else. Um, so that's possibility. It you know, all depends on the area. Um, I have a lot of a lot of North Bay and a lot of Santa Cruz areas in the high you know wilderness areas. Uh, majority, you know, a big handful of those will most likely need a separate policy for fire. You know, but it depends on the carrier as well. Some carriers will say, you know what, I, I don't mind. So I've seen some carriers like State Farm might have a less of an appetite for certain areas, and I will have I'll have insurance for them, which will include fire. Whereas you know, it's vice versa as well too in certain areas that we may not want to touch where they they have an appetite for. So it really depends. So if that's the case, um, is it is it is it needed or better to shop around when it comes to policies, given what you just shared? Like sometimes when you mean by a separate policy, is that a separate policy within farmers or is that a separate policy with another insurance company? 
Uh, so when I say separate policy, it's, um, you know, it could be, it's called the uh, DIC. What you can do is you can get a separate policy like farmers. Let's just say if we don't insure the fire, I can help you go through the California fair plan to get a fire policy and it'll still be managed by me. But you would just have two separate policies because, um, you know, because our, we, our appetite and our risk doesn't uh, doesn't allow this area with fire coverage. In terms of shopping for insurance, um, you can always check. You know that's up to you know that's definitely up to the client, right? Um, you know if you feel confident with this agent um, and he writes you a good policy, but it's two separate policies and you don't mind it, then that's fine. You might end up paying a little bit more uh, versus someone that is a non-admitted carrier that will accept all the risk, um, but you're paying less. Um, you know, but if you don't like working with that agent or that agent doesn't seem competent enough with you, that's your personal choice of whether or not you want to work with them. Uh, same with, you know, real estate, you know, if you, you know, if you feel, Hey, you know what, you know, if what's the difference with one person writing me a uh, offer versus another person, right? You want to make sure that you're confident with that person that you're working with. Right. Got it. Okay, cool. And then what about like flood insurance? I know certain areas it's required. Um, even if it's not required, can you also order it? What's what about flood insurance? Yeah, so flood insurance and earthquake insurance in California are always excluded on your policy. Um, water damage is covered, flood is not. Um, and a lot of people get that mixed up. And I'll kind of explain that a little bit and I'll talk about flood. So water damage is water from the inside out, such as your garbage disposal malfunctions, uh, di uh, your dishwasher you know, malfunctions, a pipe burst in your house, your toilet malfunctions, your washer dryer malfunctions. That's water from the outside, inside out. So that's typically covered under your policy if you have water coverage on your policy. Uh, flood is typically not going to be covered unless you get a separate policy. For the most part, most companies are requiring floods separately. And flood is water coming from the in, outside into your home from an overflow of water from the ground up. So if it affects, you know, two or three or four houses and it's overflow of water into your house from the outside in, that's most likely going to be considered as flood. Uh, in terms of flood, the cost-wise in the area and flood zones, um, lenders, so the, so the flood requirements are always requirements based on the lenders. It's not based on the client or the, uh, you know, nobody's ever required to have any flood insurance unless it's a lender's requirement because they see, hey, this is a high-risk area. I want to protect my interest because technically you don't own the house until it's paid off. So that's why they require floods, flood uh flood uh, insurance in specific areas, but that's all dependent on the lenders. Some lenders might say, hey, you know what? Eh, it seems okay. We might not require it. Some lenders might say, hey, looks like this is a, you know, this seems, this seems, he's saying it's okay, but I'm going to require it if you want to work with my, you know, my, you know, we want to protect our interests. So it really depends on the lender as well. Same with fire insurance. If your home is paid off and you have no interest, you're not required to get fire insurance or homeowner's insurance at all, but you're taking the risk and you're rolling the dice on being not insured if something happens. Got it. And what about earthquake insurance? Like I, I, I understand it's actually very expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you hear, you hear on the radio a lot and I think that's with a separate company. I don't, I don't even think it's that big of a company. Does farmers themselves have earthquake insurance? Um, and how many people, just out of curious of your own clientele have earthquake insurance? Like what percentage do you think? Yeah. Um, actually, um, earthquake insurance, there's a couple of things you can do. There's the California Earthquake Authority that's backed by the state of California and that's an admitted carrier and they're the largest, uh, they're the largest appointed, um, earthquake carrier in California. They were specific, they're a nonprofit. They were specifically created so that people can have coverage for earthquake because 
farmers, we don't, we don't, we don't offer earthquake insurance. State farm doesn't offer earthquake insurance. All state AAA does not offer earthquake insurance. So therefore uh, we help We're I'm appointed with the California earthquake authority to help you purchase earthquake insurance through them. In terms of cost, it really depends on location, right? So if you're within, you're close to the fault lines, it's going to be more expensive than if you were in Sacramento, right? Or Stockton, nowhere near the fault lines. So for example, let's just say if we were to insure your home for $300,000 to rebuild it in San Francisco and in Stockton, the insurance coverage for earthquake may be $1,000, $2,000 for San Francisco for the earthquake policy. But in Stockton, for that same exact coverage might be $100. So there's a difference in cost because they know the risk, how close you are to, you know, the fault lines and, you know, what's the risk of insurance coverage. Um, in terms of ex being expensive, you'll be surprised, actually. I, I, if I were you, I would encourage that you talk to your insurance agent to ask them, hey, what's it going to cost to add California Earthquake Authority? For single family homes, because there hasn't been a lot of huge losses besides uh, the Northern California um, Napa uh, earthquake in 2016, and the 1989, you know, uh, uh, that the, the Loma Prieta uh, earthquake, there hasn't really been any big claims. And earthquake usually doesn't happen in the entire California. It's going to only be in certain areas. And so with that said, earthquake insurance actually last year, they've announced that for, for they remapped everything again. And certain areas, it's going to be more expensive because you're closer, but certain areas actually have reduced the cost as, as much as 40% in earthquake insurance costs. So like my, mine went from 800 bucks to about 400 bucks this year um, after my policy renewed for earthquake insurance. Um, clients that have earthquake insurance, I want to say before when I first started, when it was more expensive before they remapped everything, it was probably somewhere like maybe 10, 15%. Now I'm closer to about 25% of my clients are getting uh, earthquake insurance because it's more affordable. Um, and they know that if it takes 300 years to recuperate your money based on your monthly premium, it just it, simple math. It just makes sense for them. They want to invest. They want to, if I'm buying a two, you know, $2 million, $3 million home, I want to make sure I pr protect my interest, you know? So what's another $2,000 a year, right? So it really depends on the person as well too. Interesting, but that's interesting. It's still at twenty five percent. It's still not a much higher number, like all these other insurance, uh, you know, options, right? So, yeah. is it because of the lack of knowledge? Is it because, like, th at the end of the day, because it has to be a really big earthquake to actually make the damage needed to have a repair? Too, it's not yeah. just a regular earthquake. It has to be a really, really big earthquake, right? Yeah. Um, so, is it the lack of education? Uh, it's like knowledge or is it something else too? A uh, couple things. So one is one could be cost um, and one could be cost. Hey, you know, like this costs too much. It's out of my budget. The other thing could be lack of knowledge or education about the product. Uh, the third thing actually is, you know what? I'm willing to roll the dice, you know, like it's not required. It's an optional insurance. I don't have to get it like auto insurance or homeowners insurance. Right. So since it's not required, you know, then I may not want to do it. I don't have the funds for it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice. Um, the other thing also is the deductible. Some of the, some people, you know, they look at the deductible and they say, wow, I have a thousand dollar deductible for fire, theft, all that stuff. But then you want me to have a 15% deductible or five or 25% deductible. Um, and that might be like $80,000, you know, you're like, whoa, that's a big deductible. So in my opinion, some people might say, oh, well, I don't feel it's, you know, it's going to cover anything because the only time it would be worth it is if my entire house collapses. But, you know, it, you know, who knows, right? 
Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in the marina and you're not on bedrock, you know, you have a higher chance of your home collapsing from a large enough earthquake. If you're, you know, if you're on bedrock, yes, it is safer. If you've done seismic retrofitting, you can get a discount on your home as well too for your earthquake insurance. So it really depends on the client's risk and, uh, you know, what they're willing to stomach. Um, some people are not, you know, are willing to saying, Hey, you know what? I don't, you know, my house is, you know, not attached, but it's a single family home and it's touching the next door neighbor's house. You know, I feel like, you know, I'm pretty secure. That's mm. their, you know, that's their opinion. And that's the risk, you know, that they feel comfortable with accepting. Mm -hmm. The, with, with that though, the question is if there was something really that big of an earthquake, mm -hmm. clearly it's not just one home that would be damaged. It'll be a lot of homes. The question is, will that agency be still solvent for it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good question. Like, will it actually be, if it was really that big, because uh, I don't know if you looked into like what happened in the 80s, like when that happened, and I don't know, maybe, yeah. I don't know if it, there was insurance, I have no idea, but yeah. what happened at that time? Are they actually able to be solvent to still pay out this kind of massive thing? Because there are these incidents of black swan and that's, that was actually what's been going on for like insurance providers for some time. Like look at the hurricanes, um, these other, you know, there's a lot of these events that shouldn't be happening this common as an example. So there's always questions like, are they actually solvent? Uh, if it, if it did actually happen, like, what are your thoughts? Yeah. That? That's actually a really good question. Um, so that's why it was, it's a very important to choose a good company, a good carrier. They have to have good history. They have to, you know, you can look at their solvency on AM's best. You can look them up and see what their, you know, what their, you know, how much money they have. And, you know, if, you know, how much money are they, what are they insuring, you know, the, you know, the dollar amount and how much they have to pay for all of that. So that tells you, okay, if all the houses were to collapse, will they have enough money to pay? Um, fortunately enough, CEA actually, insured if they insure the entire all their dollars that they're insured for every home in california uh, because there hasn't been a large earthquake and they were able to cut 40 percent down in premiums um they we look I, if you look at their website and it actually describes their you know their solvency and how much money they have they actually have 80 80 million dollars oh i'm sorry 80 billion dollars in excess i'm sorry 18 billion dollars in excess if they were to pay for every home they would still have an additional 18 billion dollars left um, to pay for everybody else if if it needed more, um, but obviously you only pay for what you get. If you're if you're if you buy a million dollars coverage, you're only going to get a million dollars, right? You're not going to get extra. But right now they're actually they actually have an excess of eighteen billion dollars, which is why they lowered rates by forty percent for certain areas. Um, yeah, uh, for private earthquake insurances, um, you know, just check to see if they're uh, admitted or not admitted because that makes a difference as well too. So an admitted carrier is you know uh you know they follow all the standards within california um you know and, it, and they're backed by the state of california if to make sure that they have enough money to pay everything back if they don't have enough money and they're an admitted carrier then what's going to happen is they're going to pay you in increments pay everybody in increments until everything's paid off if it's a non-admitted carrier that doesn't conform to the state of california um uh standards then what's what could possibly happen is if you know, let's just say they, you know, let's just say they're insuring a hundred million dollars worth of properties, and and a hundred million dollars of it gets burned down, but they only have reserves of 90, 90 million. And what's going to happen is they can claim bankruptcy, and they don't have they don't have to conform to the state of California to get backed up and pay everybody increments. They would just claim bankruptcy and walk away with their hands clean and say, "Sorry, first come, first serve. You know, take what you can." So making sure that you have an admitted carrier is very important. 
And then also making sure that, you know, it's a company that has a good track history and good uh, good enough reserves in, you know, for everything that they're insuring. So those are three main things you want to make sure you take care of and, and check when you talk to an insurance company. Got it. Cool. So we'll get wrapped up pretty soon, but a few last questions uh, for uh, either first time home buyers or just people not as familiar with the insurance space. What are, what do you think are the, the top two or three mistakes people make when deciding on either a policy or a provider? Mm -hmm. And if you were to give them just a general advice as at least to get started, what would you feel like are kind of like the bare minimum things that everyone should have? Yeah. Um, I think that you should definitely make sure you choose somebody competent um, rather than, you know, you can definitely, you know, if you feel competent enough to choose your own insurance coverage online, that's fine. I mean, as long as you're comfortable with it, but the, the one problem, you know, not to, I'm not going to bad mouth any companies, but um, you know, companies like Geico, they're great companies. I don't, I don't have anything against them. They're great companies. Um, but the problem with using somebody like Geico is the consumers may not be an insurance professional. They haven't seen all the claims go in and out. They haven't seen, you know, the losses, what could possibly happen. And then, you know, and Geico is very clear on their coverages where they list, okay, this coverage covers this, this coverage covers that. But because the consumer that may not have the, you know, the insurance knowledge or seen that many claims, they may say, oh, you know what? I can just give myself the minimums because it's cheaper. Then when a claim happens, they're like, oh shoot, I'm underinsured, but they don't realize what could have happened. Whereas if you have an insurance professional do it for you, um, you know, set up your policy and give you advice on how you should structure it based on, you know, what your current, you know, what's, where do you live? Well, what's the value of your home? What's your, you know, what assets do you have? What do you do for a living? You know, what's your income? Like, how do we have to, you know, make sure to protect you? Um, they are, we are advisors to our clients so that we can tell them, Hey, this is what you should do based on the information I was able to collect from you. Um, I've, for example, I've had a client that, um, you know, they picked out their policy. Um, and then, you know, he, the reason why they came to me was they said, Oh, well, I didn't get paid out when I got rear-ended by an uninsured motorist. I said, well, you should have uninsured motorists and they'll waive the deductible if you selected that coverage. And she says, you know, yeah, yeah, I think I did. I said, send me your policy. I, I took a review of it. I was like, Geico didn't lie to them telling them that there's no cover, you know, there's no coverage here. You can't select this. Basically she didn't, she failed to select it and she ended up with a thousand dollar deductible that she had to pay out of pocket for getting rear-ended by an uninsured motorist. So, you know, you know, so you want, if, as a consumer, I would definitely encourage you to pick somebody that's competent, you know, cause I would not write my own real estate offer to somebody cause I don't know. I don't know all the disclosures. I don't know what forms to fill out. I don't know, you know, if, you know, if I'm making the right offer, I want a professional to do it for me. Right. Especially for such a big, large purchase. If you're insuring your home and it's a large purchase, if you're buying a home and it's a large purchase, you want someone that's a professional that can give you proper advice. Um, but do make sure that you're properly insured. You know, um, if you want to save money, just take a higher deductible to my clients. If you, let's just say you take $100,000 less on rebuilding your home versus $1,000 more on a deductible, the difference is about $100 for both sides. But I'd rather you be, you know, you'd have to come out an extra $1,000 than to be short $99,000 on rebuilding your home. That's how I see it. Um, you know, but it, obviously it's up to the client. Um, and, and, you know, that's my better, best advice. Make sure you're properly insured. Pick a professional unless you feel that you're confident on you know, on knowing, you know, what you're doing on insuring yourself. 
No, that's really good advice. Cause I mean, I, 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 I would probably say I fall in that same trap too, because what, what, what Geico and some of these online providers have done an incredible job, which, you know, farmers, state farm, in a sense, these kind of maybe, not necessarily older companies, but their, their marketing approach is completely different, right? Like mm -hmm. Geico is everywhere on ads everywhere. I mean, it has the brand for sure. I would say the brand is probably more valuable and I think they probably have a much bigger base. But they give you the uh, sense that I think their initial quote was like you can say fifteen percent, like fifteen minutes or whatever. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, they, so they give you all these things, which it is like their online portal is very slick. I'm, I'm a Geico customer myself, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, you have a you know basically a shopping cart of I you know of options, right? Um, and it's your responsibility to pick every single one, whether you know what you're getting yourself into or you don't. Versus like especially with yourself. I think the challenge for a lot of people is that just like in real estate, there's a lot of insurance agents, right? And a majority of insurance agents, just like a majority of realtors are, you know, quite frankly, not very knowledgeable and they're actually, it'll be a negative impact and even being a positive impact. So I think there is that uh, stereotype that people get very nervous or scared of a way you're just trying to sell me the most expensive, you know, uh, premium. So you make the most money. Um, whereas the reality is, there, it is true on one end, right? If they're a bad insurance provider uh, or insurance agent, then that is absolutely uh, possible. But if they're good, it's really you're that uh, kind of middle ground of the advisor of this space. You'll talk it through. Hopefully, you'll give them the right options, and that then they they're the ones pick. But at least they have the information that they need to make that decision. Whereas these online portals and things like that. Like I said, it's just literally a shopping cart. You have no idea, like, is this $100,000? Is that enough? Is it $500,000? Is this all these random num items? And then obviously there's some monthly premium that that's you know relative to it. But it's interesting because the a lot of the industry, and same with real estate, was there's this illusion that people, they made it, they make it feel like people know a lot more than they actually do know, which is a very dangerous mentality uh, to be in. Uh, so I'm, I'm really glad we were able to do this, um, do this show to highlight, like, there's a lot of things like I personally did not know, and I'm in the business myself, but I'm not in the insurance business. Right. And I think I'm sure I can speak then for a majority of people that there's no way they would even possibly know this information, given they're not even close to being in any of these businesses. So really thank you for that, for those insights. And so Aaron, like, what are the best ways for people to get a hold of you, um, whether they have questions on their own policy or they're looking for, you know, uh, options at, at, with farmers, like what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, you can look me up on Yelp. Uh, you can just type up my name, Aaron Thatch, or you can Google me um, and you can get a hold of me by phone, email. T currently, our office is closed to the public due to COVID, but typically I would love to meet my clients in person just because I want to make sure that, you know, we build that relationship as well. But you can always give me a call, uh, email me. Um, and also, um, I love doing insurance reviews for people, you know, even if they don't buy insurance from me, you know, um, I like to at least educate my clients, letting them know, Hey, this is what you currently have, you know, and this is how it plays out based on your life. You know, you told me what you do for a living what your income is and so on and floor, what, what, what your assets are, what your liabilities could be. And then if you decide, Hey, you know what, 
it doesn't work out, whatever. No hard feelings, but at least you're educated when you talk to the next person. You know, you know, if they're trying to stiff you or if they're trying to over-insure you or under-insure you because they're just trying to beat rates and just win your business, right? So I love doing that with clients just to, just to educate them, you know, because with that extra knowledge, that may, helps them make a much better decision on who they want to go with and also with making sure that they're protected rather than, you know, just giving out money and not knowing what they're buying. Right. No, absolutely. Really appreciate the insights. And we'll wrap it up for this one. Thank you guys for attending another weekly Wednesday Lunch and Learn. This time we had a lot of great information related to all things about insurance. So if you have any questions, reach out to Aaron and I'll see you at the next one. Bye now. Thank you so much for having me, Spencer. You're welcome. Thank you so much for making it to the very end of my podcast. If you are tired of renting in the Bay Area, are a homeowner looking to do a trade up for a bigger home, or are a real estate investor, I would love to connect. Click on the Calendly link and let's set up a time to talk. It's never too early to talk about options and to work out a game plan. I also do have an email newsletter, so sign up on the link in the show notes, or you're welcome to watch all of my content on YouTube. See you at the next one.